grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope I can hear you guys saying great. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour uh, or so. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you think you might have a paranormal issue, whether it's uh, anything having to do with UFOs or anything like that, any kind of, I'm saying any paranormal issue, we can get to you. It might take us a while because this is this is a huge state, but we will get to you. We're very thorough what we do. Best way to contact us is either here on either on Facebook through my uh, personal name or any of the California Haunts pages. There's several California Haunts pages, but also you can get us on on Twitter at Cal Haunts. You can also get us at TikTok at California Haunts, which is all lowercase. You can even get me on Instagram at GhostyGal, which is all lowercase. So there's multiple ways to, to contact us. Today we've got a great guest, and I hope I have his last name correct, because you guys know how I am about names. Chris Albach, Albeck is with us, and uh, Albeck, I think it's Albeck. I'll have him correct me. But he's with us today, and, you know, a lot of the UFO sightings and, and encounters you hear about happened after, like, 1942. You know, those, you know, it goes all the way back to to New Mexico and all the all these different places, you know, where, where there were sightings. Um, and... Uh, probably wrong with that too it's how my day has been today but uh the interesting thing of what this of what my guest has done is he has amassed sightings that go beyond that like way back in time way back you know pre-1940s is the bottom line and it's fascinating to hear that because obviously this stuff has been going on a lot longer than than you know what we know i mean you look at the bible and you look at you can read between the lines a little bit with what Ezekiel saw, you know, the big wheel, that, that, that big wheel in the sky and things like that. So these things have been coming here or these sightings have been happening forever, you know, for, for what we see you know, would be forever. So I'm, my guest tonight, um, Chris Albeck, is going to be talking about that. And we can talk and maybe he'll talk about some of those those particular more, you know, sightings that stand out to him. But uh, this stuff has been happening for a long, long time, a lot longer than we know. All right. Anyway, I want to bring him in. And uh, a quickie, if you like what you see and hear today, please be sure to hit that follow button, especially if you're on Facebook and you're watching this. Please be sure to hit that follow button and the like button. If you're watching from YouTube, um, if you have any you haven't done so already, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. Look at that. I got that just right. See right there. With the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes head on, that's our mascot. If you click on him, that big subscribe button will pop up and uh, you can subscribe. We've got over 520 videos sitting over there, and I like to do different topics. I just don't like paranormal topics. I, I will cover different things. I'm a journalist, photojournalist by trade. And so if you hit that button, that'll subscribe you to it. And I think there's something there for everybody, to interest everybody. Okay, well, let me bring Chris in. And this is going to be a phone, uh, you know, an audio-only interview. So I've got some graphics to show you for uh, of Chris and, and all that good stuff. So let me bring him in, and uh, let's talk. Hello, sir. Hi there. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. It's, it's great to be talking to you. Sure, no problem. Tell us about you. To, you know, 
Okay, well, um, I'm, I've been studying uh, UFOs since I was a, a young teenager. And it was around, um, around the time I moved to Spain. Uh, I'm, I'm from London originally. Uh, in 1991, that I started taking the historical side very seriously because I thought that, well, the only way to find out whether uh, the UFO phenomenon is real, the only way to, to sort of, uh, to know how to distinguish between science fiction and um, our preconceptions from movies and, and books and comics and so on, would be to go back to a time before any of that existed to see what our ancestors used to uh, believe in and what they used to report. So when I was a, um, a young teenager, what I used to do was to uh, skip school, go to the library and just sit in the university library, in fact, with a pen and paper and take notes on hundreds of, of strange cases, sightings and encounters between people and, and fairies, people and demons and all kinds of, of weird and wonderful phenomena. Then um, I just compiled as much as I could. And of course, that was in a period before uh, anyone had access to the internet. And then many years later, um, partly with, with this material, I founded a, a group called Magonia Exchange. In fact, in the year 2003, it's still working. And we've got countries, uh, sorry, we have members in 16 different countries. And um, over the years, we've accumulated about 40,000, 50,000 uh, cases. And in the year 2010, I, I wrote a book with uh, Jack Svalet on the, on the topic of um, UFOs in history, a book called Wonders in the Sky. And it, it did quite well. Uh, and at least it made people aware that the UFO phenomenon is a lot older than, than we imagined. So what did you find as you started to look back at this stuff? Because like I mentioned earlier, you know, in the show, that even the Bible, you know, there's this thing with, with Ezekiel seeing the, the big wheel. I mean, that, that obviously had to be something extraterrestrial. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that, in fact, speaking about Ezekiel, uh, people have interpreted um, Ezekiel's encounter with these wheels within wheels and, and what does read like uh, machinery with wings and strange eyes and, and, and what have you. Uh, people have been interpreting this um, in a mechanical way since the 19th century. If you look back on um, aviation pioneers, people who wanted to build the first airplanes and airships, they, they, they speculated that maybe Ezekiel had seen um, some kind of contraption from the sky, some kind of vehicle. And um, in fact, at the, at the beginning of the, of the 20th century, in, in the first years of the 20th century, 1906, I believe, a man built uh, an airship based on um, Ezekiel sighting, using it as a kind of blueprint. So, yeah, this, I mean, people have been interested in, in this for a very long time. And of course, uh, the Bible does contain some, some interesting sort of tantalizing um, descriptions of uh, unusual phenomena. Uh, so uh, we discussed that, uh, Jacques Vallée and, and, and myself in Wonders in the Sky. And um, now, after all these years, um, I'm ready to, to publish um, a sort of refresh 
of that book, which hopefully I'll do in the next couple of months as a complement to the other one that I've just published. Was it hard to find reports? Because I mean, you're going back so far with it. So mm. was, was, was it a difficult task? It's incredibly easy. And this is one of the problems, in fact. Uh, if you, um, I mean, when, when I started uh, the age of, let's say, 15, 16, um, I, I didn't have access to newspapers. I just had uh, books on, on folklore and sort of very dusty old old volumes on, 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 on a library shelf. These days, if you uh, get a subscription to one of the many newspaper, historical newspaper web pages, for example, newspapers.com or newspaperarchive.com, which are mainly there for genealogists to, to look for information about their, their ancestors, and you just put words in there like strange phenomena, singular phenomena, uh, something seen in the sky, that kind of thing, it's impossible to not find something, to not find an, an interesting UFO case or strange weather behavior uh, in, in 10 minutes. And you end up with finding, um, let's say, 30 items in a single afternoon. And then you're left with the, with, with, with the question, what do I do with all of this? Which mm -hmm. is why um, over the last decade, I've, I've dedicated more time to sorting this out, trying to find out what it really means, and piecing together the, the lost origins of, of ufology, which is um, why I, I, I published this book, Alien Artifacts, in November as the first volume to, to explore the origins of the UFO phenomenon. And what have you seen? I mean, are, are, are the sightings completely different from what people are claiming today, or are they similar? Well, that's a good question. Um, partly, they, they can be very, very similar. Uh, we have the same basic shapes seen in the sky, whether that's um, uh, disks or spheres or triangular objects. People certainly reported seeing all of that. And there are also encounters. On, on the other hand, so that we had, I mean, there are stories similar to abductions, not quite, not quite the same. Sometimes people say, why, why don't we find more abduction stories in, right. in 19th century, 18th century sources? But then we have to remember that most of the abduction stories that we have today come from hypnotic sessions, which would not have been possible that, you know, so, so long ago. Um, then again, uh, people's opinion of what all of this meant has changed. So the further you go back, the more supernatural the, the theories were. Um, it's only around the middle of the 19th century that people began to put two and two together to realize that maybe these were visitors from other planets. When you talk about supernatural explanations, what, what, what are we talking about? Well, um, if you go back to, to the earliest possible records, uh, talking about cuneiform tablets, uh, Mesopotamia, we find lists of, of omens. Um, they didn't write down um, dates and places uh, for the sightings. They just said, well, someone saw this at some point, and the idea seemed to be that um, it coincided with an, uh, with an event, uh, maybe a political event or war or or maybe a, a drought or something. So the original ones, um, the original lists say 
someone has seen a, a weird uh, black meteor in the sky that that disappeared or stood still and this clearly means that the king is going to die or that um, an army will will approach from the west so those are the the earliest ones going back literally thousands of years then after that uh, even in in greek and roman times much of this was interpreted symbolically or as omens uh, of, of social change political change then you find stories in which um, demons witches ghosts fairies um, were blamed for for lights in the sky or even uh, at ground level so yeah these explanations uh, were quite common uh, let's say three, four hundred years ago. And as I said, it was only around the 19th century when people began speculating that maybe what they saw in the sky uh, actually came from other worlds. And in doing your research, you know, obviously you've been doing it for a long time. How were you able to find these incidents? Hmm. Well, if you if you keep um, a, a series of, of keywords, uh, for example, uh, phenomenon, strange occurrence, um, discs and balls and spheres in the sky, mm -hmm. and then you you put these into into a search engine these days, uh, but within um, a digital library uh, such as newspapers.com, you'll find hundreds of of results. Um, but in the old days, I used to sit in in libraries just as charles fort used to do uh when he was compiling his books the, the book of the damned and so on um and just sit there and take take as many notes as possible it really is very easy to find to find stories but of course um we've now collected more than forty thousand, so we do find repeats occasionally um which is fine too because um what we like to do is to get different angles of the same on the same tale uh, maybe written by different journalists or published at, at different times now when you look at these forty thousand that you have are there any that stand out to you yeah there there, there are lots which are particularly um mysterious i mean we can go back to to very old uh, very old times for example in the year 776 um which is when the saxons rebelled against uh, charlemagne in in germany um there's a story uh, about a castle the castle of of, of seaberg or cyberg which was um attacked and suddenly there were these two flying shields that appeared in the sky and it, it's interesting because they say textually um they reported they reportedly saw the likeness of two shields red with flame wheeling over the church when the heavens when the heathens outside saw this miracle they were at once thrown into confusion and started fleeing to their camp in terror and it goes on to say how people were, were panic-stricken when they when they saw this kind of um, phenomena in the sky. And of course, what we're talking about is um, strange objects seen by people who believe that um, maybe it was God supporting one one of the two uh, fighting armies, and people would would actually throw themselves onto the ground, uh, kneel down, and uh, and pray that these things would go away. So yeah, there are lots of stories like that. Then if we look at, for example, um, in the 17th century, 
there's um, uh, one that I'm very interested in. We call the Strelsund incident. And it actually says, um, just to take a fragment of it, after a while, out of the sky came a flat, round form, like a plate, looking like the big hat of a man. Its color was that of the darkening moon, and it hovered right over the church of St. Nikolai. There it remained stationary until the evening. And then it goes on to say, which is very interesting, the fishermen, worried to death, didn't want to look further at the spectacle and buried their faces in their hands. On the following days, they fell sick with trembling all over and pain in head and limbs. So what we're looking at there are, um, are cases which people were either extremely worried about um, because nobody could understand what was going on, uh, or in, like in the second case, it seems that it was related to a, a sickness that the witnesses experienced, which is not too different from some modern cases where people believe that um, radiation might be causing that kind of problem. I mean, in, in my books and in my studies, I can't vouch for the, the absolute veracity of any of these stories. Who knows what was happening? But it's fascinating to point out these these coincidences, these the, these correlations, and see how modern cases parallel ancient ones in that way. Well, as you were saying, uh, the thing, the, the, when you were talking about the one about the battle, I was thinking of the reports coming out of the two world wars, the pilots mm. that had seen these craft, and they all thought they, that they were weapons of, of the other side. Yeah, the Foo Fighters, the famous Foo yeah. Fighters. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I mean, there, there does seem to be um, a, a trend in which uh, when there's a war, when there's a battle, when people are under stress, they, they, they see unusual things in the sky or they're more aware of them, perhaps. I can imagine that um, uh, during, during ancient battles with, with armies camped out in the countryside, um, under the stars, they would be quite paranoid about what would be coming their way. And they'd be looking up quite a lot at the, at the moon, at the stars, maybe hoping uh, God would, would help them out. And yeah, there, there are lots of reports um, from, from that kind of uh, situation. Uh, I've, been, I've been compiling some new ones uh, for the next book, in fact. And there were just so many of them that it doesn't seem like a coincidence. You could say, that of course, uh, these are just embellishments from, from many years later. People mm -hmm. saying that, um, that uh, of course, uh, the writers wanted to show that God was on the side of the, of the winning team. But um, on the other hand, it could be that people were just looking up in the sky a lot more at that point. Do you think that these stories go, like, like we were talking about the Bible, do you think, you know, when you, when you think about that book, um, Chariots of the Gods, for instance, do you mm -hmm. think that that's what the Egyptians were were depicting on you know on the walls of their pyramids? Well, I'd like to say so. Um, the, the the thing is, I've I've always been interested in the ancient astronauts or ancient aliens uh, mm -hmm. theory, and I was a member of the Ancient Astronaut Society, which was founded by uh, a man called Gene Phillips in Illinois, who was um, Eric von Daniken's lawyer, I believe, in in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, uh, well, he used to send me this um, 
this uh, bi-monthly newsletter and it had pictures of Egyptian hieroglyphics in it sometimes and, and Mayan and so on. And I became very, very interested in that. Then I started looking into the evidence more more carefully. And what, I've, what I noticed was that um, although we like to associate the Egyptians with, with UFOs and things, there's very little relationship between between ancient Egypt and 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 any of this. Um, there are only like uh, two, maybe three stories in, in all of the hieroglyphic texts that I could more or less uh, connect with um, UFO phenomena. Uh, at least one of them is actually just um, a tale, like a fairy tale, in fact. So I think that um, people have exaggerated the importance of, of ancient Egypt in this in this regard. But um, it is a subject that interests me very much. Uh, yet another book I'd like to I'd like to publish this year, uh, if I get time, is going to explore the origins of the ancient astronaut theory. And uh, this is something that, that most people uh, are really not aware of, but most people will think that um, it started with uh, this man, uh, Eric van Daniken, who published Chariots of the Gods, I believe in, in 1968 in German. Uh, and then some people will know that there were other authors uh, before him in the 1950s and 60s who speculated on this topic. I have a friend called Walter Raymond Drake who died um, in 1989, the age of 80 something. He was he was um, a prolific British author on this topic. He, he published lots of books called Gods and Spacemen in the Ancient East, Gods and Spacemen in the Ancient West and so on. And um, he, he began writing about this in, in 1964. But what I discovered and what I show in, in my latest book, Alien Artifacts, is that the theory um, is much, much older. In fact, the whole ancient astronauts theory comes from the year 1823, wow. which means that uh, this year, 90, uh, sorry, 2023 is actually 200 years, the, the, 200, the 200th anniversary of the existence of the ancient astronaut uh, theory. It was invented by a man called Francois Chabrier, um, a Frenchman, who, who said um, that he believed that um, extraterrestrials had come to planet Earth in ancient times when their planet was destroyed, which would have given rise to the, the asteroids, and that um, parts of their civilization had fallen onto this planet and that they were considered uh, gods by by our ancestors and so on. And we're talking about, I mean, very, very old times, long before Charles Dickens and, and so on, right at the beginning of the 19th century. So, um, yeah, it's a very interesting theory, which I, I hope I've sort of rescued it and rescued its forgotten origins for, for the book Alien Artifacts. Well, when you look at history and like, like like we just talked about the Egyptians, is there any ancient civilization that that, that you think may, maybe saw these things or saw more of these than others? Um, well, the, the the thing is, it all depends on on how much information we have about that civilization. For example. Um, we have lots of cuneiform tablets, but um, not many of them 
mention uh, sightings of any kind. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they didn't exist. It just means right. that they, they, they weren't documented. And of course, we've lost a huge number of, of books and, and manuscripts over the years. And, and there are still things uh, being, being discovered um, all the time. I'm sure that cuneiform tablets will be discovered. And in fact, many sit in, in drawers uh, in, in the basements of museums that haven't been um, translated yet, because there are so few people who, who know how to translate um, uh, Mesopotamian uh, languages. Then if you look at um, ancient Greece, for example, there's no reason at all why they wouldn't have seen a lot of weird things in the sky, um, whether they were UFOs or not. But again, they didn't keep very careful records with, with, with dates and things. So there, there's very little. So we don't know what they would have seen. There are, there are a few clues here and there, and I've, I've compiled them too into my books. Um, ancient Egypt, there's very little, but then we're talking about an extremely um, long-lived um, civilization. So again, they must have seen things. Um, China, Japan, uh, Asia, they, they definitely kept uh, records of, of astronomical sightings. And there are some really curious things um, in, in old uh, Chinese texts, which um, I'd like to publish soon, then it sort of depends a little bit on that. So because we've we've lost so many libraries over the centuries, over the millennia, they've been burnt down or they they were they were robbed and so on. There's so much information that's being lost, but fortunately, we're beginning to to uncover it. The other day, I was reading about um, a papyrus which uh, hasn't been read or opened, in fact, in about 2,000 years because it's it's it would turn to dust. And they're using X-ray technology to 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 be able to read what's inside it without having to to open it up. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot of room for for new discoveries in that regard now we talked about this a little bit earlier but to compare the sightings that that people had way 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 back with what's going on today is it are, are the sightings similar yeah yeah there are very similar ones um uh, i could actually tell you uh, of one that um i was writing about today um in the year 1898 so it's still uh, 49 years before Kenneth Arnold's sighting. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it was written in a, in a newspaper. It says it's, it, it was a dream. It was uh, written by a Californian girl, uh, but it's really, really curious. And it, it, it just resembles modern sightings so much. So it's, um, it's about a girl who's um, walking along the, sky, uh, along the street. She says, in my amazement, I look toward the sky. Um, um, instead of seeing a normal blue sky, she saw it was slightly purple, and then she saw a white object rising slowly above the treetops uh, with something black on it. She couldn't be really sure what it was. It looked like an, an airship of some kind. And then um, she says that she could see um, a, uh, a figure like in, in black. Uh, she thought that it was like a pilot who sat in the center of, of, this, of this machine. It circled above her in the air uh, in, at lightning speed, she said. And then um, there's a moment in which um, it sort of suffers some kind of accident and it, it practically explodes. And then with a bang, it, it falls to the ground and, and leaves a, a, a kind of spiral. 
um, when she approaches this object, um, she says um, she found uh, a dead alien, or a dead pilot at least, and she says it was about three, three foot long, or three foot tall, and was wrinkled and, and, and shriveled. So although this was published as a dream, we have to remember too that um, it, it's, it was very unusual at the time to sort of publish your dreams in newspapers. So the, the real significance of, of this story is, is quite difficult to, to imagine. So yeah, there's a lot of curious um, tales of this kind. What do they mean? I'm, I'm really not sure, but um, I think it's important to to sort of uh, publish them and allow readers to, to reach their own conclusions. Well, that was my next question on this. You know, as far as Roswell goes, if there have been any incidents like Roswell where, where there have been crashes where they saw bodies. Well, in, in the book I've just published, Alien Artifacts, um, I've got a several uh, chapters there which talk about the first ever um, uh, stories, reports, or whatever about about um, objects that fell from the sky that even had hieroglyphics uh, in them. Uh, you have uh, dead alien bodies and, and so on. So certainly, I mean, there have been several uh, stories like that published over the centuries, very, very similar to, to Roswell. There's, a, there's one tale actually, which is uh, quite curious that I'm going to publish in, in, in my next book, which will be called simply uh, Wonders. And it's from the year 1571. And I'm just going to read you a little bit of it so you can try to imagine what was happening because I personally don't know, but it's, it's quite tantalizing. It says, it, it happened in, in Prague. And it says, about midnight, there was a great wind over Prague that made such a rumbling noise that it sounded like an earthquake. The people woke up with a start and hurried to their windows, looking towards uh, the cattle fair, which is which today is called Charles Square, they saw a marching army coming along the street. The soldiers held their weapons in their hands, and witnesses found their appearance quite unnerving. Behind the soldiers came something resembling a large round chariot drawn by oxen. The object, which made a loud noise, because it was scraping along the ground, was apparently made of metal and had no wheels. Eight large human figures marched behind the vehicle. They looked frightful because they had no faces, um, but they wore enormous spurs on their feet, adding to the noise. Then it says, once they crossed the, squ the, the square, there was a great fire that, that, that appeared, and then um, suddenly the, the chariot, this big round metal object, and all of the people, including these faceless beings, suddenly disappeared. And it says um, a luminous object could be made out, made out in the air, a circle of fire that persisted until dawn. So that's from 1571. And a very easy interpretation would be that these were soldiers uh, which had captured uh, an object, uh, a round metal chariot, that that people that woke people up because they dragged it along the the street at night, and they'd also captured some some faceless beings. I have no idea what the real um, meaning of that is, but it's truly uh, 500 years old that document. So, do you think that in in some of these reports that 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 you gathered that religion plays a 
uh, you know, plays a hand in, in how they describe stuff? Yes, very often. Um, for example, whether whether people see a, a, just a comet or a meteor or a meteorite or whatever, um, or something stranger, they very often use the the church in in the town as the as the reference point. So they'll say it flew over the church, it flew over the cathedral. So everybody knows what where it happened. But by doing that, it also gives the impression that there might be a, a divine connection. Then quite a lot of the time, these these stories seem to um, have um, a connection with, with angels or people wondered whether these had been sent by God in some way. What, what I do in, in, in Alien Artifacts is show the origins of our belief in 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 aliens uh, all the way back to um, ancient Greece where they started speculating about an inhabited universe and carry and that sort of carried on till medieval times then in the year 1277 it was decided um, by by the higher uh, hierarchies of, of the church that it was that, that maybe God had created a, a universe full of other other lives and uh, other um, planets, other inhabited planets like our own. So for several hundred years, people started talking, uh, particularly um, theologians and bishops and so on, about the possibility that uh, God had created other worlds. And they said, well, what does this mean, though? Because if, if God made other inhabited worlds, did he send his only son, to die on all of those planets? Uh, wouldn't that be barbaric? Uh, how, how did this work? Some people thought that maybe uh, Jesus Christ traveled from one planet or even one solar system to the next. Uh, other people thought that maybe um, he, was, he was sacrificed in many different ways. Uh, there's, I mean, you could even find um, people's um, theories that uh, he he appeared in different shapes, like tentacled beings or whatever, on different planets. Uh, so yeah, um, religion played a very great part. In fact, in in Alien Artifacts, I have three chapters talking about uh, Mormons, um, Seventh Day Adventists, and even Jehovah's Witnesses and their original uh, beliefs relating to uh, the cosmos, uh, inhabited planets, uh, our contact with with extraterrestrials. Well, look, like, like we were just saying, I think religion would have a huge play in all this because you, know, you, you see something you don't understand and you're going to relate it to whatever you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, and that's what happens with, with these things. Yeah, well, you know, um, during during the the uh, the, the spiritualist uh, movement in the 19th century, um, people used to go to seances and not only try to talk to their um, their their recently departed father and uncle and grandfather, they actually tried to to, to talk to people from other planets, and so there was a lot of um, stories about um, mediums. Who, who had entered into contact with, with extraterrestrials that gave them information and so on. I have a whole chapter on that topic in the book, too. When you read these accounts, and you may, you know, maybe some of the ones that are more updated in this day and age, how are you able to kind of read between the lines to, to, to kind of sort out the info? 
Mm, well, um, to sort it out is actually quite a difficult task, which is why I've spent about 16 years looking at all of this. Um, what you need to do is to uh, firstly decide whether whether people um, were describing uh, a real phenomenon or not, uh, or whether it should go into um, another category, uh, the category of hoaxes. But you know, even even when they were hoaxes, uh, if it was in the 19th century, if they have some similarity to modern cases, it makes you think. It makes you think. Well, how is it possible that that people uh, 150 years ago, say, came up with like out of the blue a story so similar to to what you can find today in in UFO books or on on YouTube? Um, there must be something there. There must be some kind of connection, whether it's um, real, whether it's um, psychological. So you you need to make uh, comparisons. In that, in that sense, I think that the the important thing about um, UFOs and UFO history is that it shows us a lot about humanity and our relationship with with ourselves, with with nature, and the universe. Because it's like an, a never-ending search for proof that we are not alone, and that. Um, other beings um, try to communicate with us because, of course, if they try to communicate with us, it makes us feel more more special. So when I look at all of this information, I'm, I'm sort of taking into account a lot of different lot of different factors. And um, in the end, uh, I, I just think everything is relevant. Everything everything is important. There's there's always something um, to, to say about these stories. Have you ever seen one? Yes, I did. On the uh, 6th of April, 1996, in Spain, I was with about six other people, maybe seven, in um, in a park in a small village uh, called Talarubias in, um, um, in an area that's not too far from where I'm living now. And um, we saw a rectangular orange light in the sky. It wasn't moving. It was just stationary uh, and it was there for about five minutes seven minutes uh, we were pointing at it and talking about it and then suddenly it, it went out as a, a light bulb uh, would go out and then it appeared in another part of the sky which was really odd and it it, it was just there it, it's i don't think it was a reflection of anything um we're talking about 1996 couldn't have been a, a drone um this is a little village in the middle of nowhere I, I doubt very much it was some experimental craft and it wouldn't explain what we saw anyway so i don't know what it was but yeah that that puts me in the category of of ufo witness in looking at all these cases that 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 that, that you've amassed and the research on has there been one that that, that shocked you at all well, um, there are stories that have shocked me uh, very much. Um, so some of them for for reasons which you probably wouldn't imagine. Uh, for example, I'm, I've got a collection of, of stories about how people at the beginning of the 20th century, that's 50 years before flying saucers, um, believed that they had some kind of telepathic communication with, with Martians or with aliens of some kind. And they... They, they they did things um, uh, according to what they thought was were the wishes of of these beings. There's there's one case I believe it's from 19 
1903 or 1910. Let's look it up. Um, the the police in America um, came upon a man who was standing in the middle of a stream, and he had his mother's uh, shawl in his hand. And they said, "What's going on?" And he had some blood on him too. And and this guy said, "Oh well, um, I've just killed my mother with a broken bottle." Uh, and they they go back with him to this guy's house, and there's the mother uh, in her late sixties, early seventies, um, with her with her body totally ripped open, and a broken bottle on the, on the floor. Uh, and the the neighbors actually said that they they'd heard the screams and, and so on. And his story was that for some time he'd been hearing telepathic uh, messages from aliens in in airships that were floating over the house and um they said to him that if he ever wanted to to get to to mars or wherever it was um he'd, he'd have to get there go there with his mother but she couldn't carry the fetus that she had inside him so could he please remove it? And of course, I mean, the mother was way too old to, to have been pregnant. But um, yeah, he, he slashed his mother uh, in two, basically. And um, and then, of course, he was arrested and put in a mental hospital. And that's not the only case I, I have of this kind. I have other stories of, uh, there's another one um, from, I believe it's from about 10 years before that. Um, uh, a mother it's just a, a perfectly normal family the, the father arrives one day after work and sees um his wife and three children all dead lying on the floor in the living room and um their mother had just killed them and then killed herself and the reason was um i believe it was in a note that she left behind was that she spent some time watching a, a light in the sky and she thought that it was some kind of um, enemy that that, that, were, that was coming to to get them so she thought that she'd better take her life and her children's life and you know sort of um and, and sort of end it all in her own way and there are lots of stories uh, like that which are pretty shocking and have a lot to do with um extraterrestrials or at least extraterrestrial beliefs hmm. it just amazes me that you know somewhere that there's a written record of this stuff you know, it goes back really far. Oh, it goes it, it goes back very, very far. Um, there was a time when I, I wondered how I could find out what just normal people, the man in the street, thought about this kind of thing. Because, of course, most most people who left a written record in, in books or scientific reports were scientists and scholars. Um, they didn't write their, their craziest and wildest thoughts down. They, they would normally sort of present very um, academic um, theses about life on other planets and, and so on. But then um, what I realized was if you focus on the medical cases of the time, uh, people who were arrested because they were um, allegedly insane, I mean, to be to be thought insane, you just had to say that you'd that you were being being chased by a witch or a goblin or that you'd seen extraterrestrials in your bathroom or whatever. Um, and then if you look at those cases, you find plenty of stories of, of people who who um, told doctors that they'd seen um, very weird phenomena and very weird creatures. But at the same time, um, newspapers in the 19th century loved to publish uh, strange stories. So um, from around um, 1848 on, 
there was there there were there were plenty of stories of artificially constructed objects that fell from the sky, sometimes covered in hieroglyphics, sometimes um, parts of machines, um, and occasionally even like the bust of a human being, and uh, like a statue. And um, newspapers loved it because. There was a lot of competition in the 19th century to sell to sell local newspapers. There were so many of them that, that that people just lapped it up. We've just collectively forgotten that we that there was a time in the past when people spoke probably even more about UFOs and aliens than they do today. Interesting. The other question I have too is looking at all the research you've done. You know, when you write these books and whatnot. Is it hard to figure out, you know, what what you should put in the book as opposed to what you should leave out of, out, out of these books? Yeah, we um, when I when I compiled uh, the book Wonders in the Sky with uh, Jack Valley in, in in 2010, we spent about three years uh, going through literally hundreds, thousands of of stories, uh, accounts, and and UFO cases to decide which ones to put in the book. Um, we we discovered that seventy percent of of what we had uh, was was fake. There were hoaxes and so on. Um, uh, then you're left with thirty percent, and then you have to decide whether each each case uh, has a, a a named witness, a, a location, a date. So um, if you if if you concentrate on on cases with uh, dates, uh, names, and so on, then then that's one way of doing it. Um, in the next version of, of Wonders in the Sky, which um, I'm going to bring out in a few months, it'll have a different name uh, for copyright reasons um, because the other one's still available. Um, it'll be a, a, a total re redo of that book anyway. It, the there are many um i'm going to put many new cases in there and um throw out other ones which 13 years ago we thought were real, were real and now we know we're we're not so it's something that that's constantly changing so i have this massive collection a mountain of of stories and as you go through them uh some of them turn out to be real some of them turn out not to be real or just mis or, or just misidentifications, or then um, over the last thirteen years, so much new information has come to light that I can add cases, take other ones out. Yeah, it's it's just constantly changing. And that brings me to this question too: How can you tell if, if something's real and not real? Uh, you can't. You okay. you absolutely cannot tell. the The only way that you can, uh, if it's um something extremely spec spectacular you can find individual reports in different locations so so people in in several different villages or towns can 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 say they saw the same thing in the sky um then there are cases for example there there's a series of stories about uh, one large central light and eight or nine smaller like satellite lights that sort of circle it which appear in so many different reports um at different times different countries that i'd be very surprised if that wasn't real then um a few years ago um a friend of mine uh, martin schoff and i who he wrote a book with me called uh, return to magonia um we we sort of put together stories of 
what seem to be like luminous bubbles or luminous sort of circular objects that have been seen uh, over the centuries. Um, there are so many cases of that kind that it would it's very, very unlikely that um, they are they are made up. So although there's no way of, of determining whether something is real or not, I mean, we can have a very strong suspicion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you're doing this, like you say, you, you, you use like newspaper clippings or, or different online newspaper sources. Do you also go to libraries and really and really delve in, into the books there to look this stuff up too? Yeah, I've invested a lot of money over the years in in, in books, of course, uh, and in many different languages. Um, before Google Translate, Deeple, and and, the, and other programs, um, and uh, now ChatGPT um, existed, I used to buy um, books and ask people to help me translate them, whether it was from Danish or German or, or whatever, and even Japanese and Chinese. Uh, because um, a lot of the information in the world isn't available yet. Or if you go into Google Books, for example, and you try to get access to to a book quite a lot of the time, you only see a fragment and, and you can't get the whole book. So you need to to find a way to, to access this material offline. So I, sometimes I've bought books from eBay. I've, I've spent a lot of money over the years, but uh, <laughs> I try not to think about that. I can understand. I can understand. <laughs> what do you say to people that want to do that want to conduct uh, similar research to yours? Uh, well, first thing I say to them is that it's extremely easy uh, to get to get the cases to find something new. Um, they've only got to uh, use um, any one of the hundred and fifty. Um, historical uh, newspaper archives online. Uh, some of them, there's a, for some of them, there's a paid subscription. Some of them have a have a trial period that they can use and then cancel before they before they get charged. And a lot of them are completely free. If they go onto Wikipedia, they can just put um, historical newspapers, and it'll give you a whole list of of, of them. Um, it's it's very easy to get the cases themselves. The difficult thing is to have um a perspective of, of what they mean and where they fit into the general picture for that you really need to um pick up a book like like the one i just published alien artifacts or um, the one i did 13 years ago wanted in the sky or, or, or the next one that i'm going to do um basically because i mean i i just mentioned my own books not because i, I particularly uh want to want to sell these but because there's nobody else doing this um it's it's very difficult to find books on on historical cases uh because uh very very few people pay much attention to that there's a lot of there's, there are a lot of books about modern ones modern modern cases um and abductees and contactees and so on very few that that, that um that put together um sort of uh, a complete picture of, of what our ancestors used to believe and to me that's the I think that's the most important part uh, the um, uh, if, if, if we if, if we don't know what um, what cases came before the ones that we see today we're not really prepared to judge whether modern cases are unique or whether um, maybe they they're just um, the survival of very old traditions maybe urgent legends so yeah, I think that's it. And then apart from that, they could all uh, uh, people interested in doing this could always join my my research group, 
uh, Magonia Exchange, which they can they they can Google, or I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and all the usual places. So what's next for you? Well, this year I want to publish a lot of what I've um, of what I've been working on. Um, I have one about um, beings, uh, uh, creatures which seem to be um, balls of fire, which travel around as as balls of fire, and then and then and then become humanoid and and so on. Uh, I'm, I have a collection of those which I'd like to publish in in, in the next few months. Um, because um, alien artifacts, uh, which is available on Amazon now, um, is just volume one of of the of a series, which which is going to be three books, which is going to be the the most complete look at historical UFOs or ufology and the belief in extraterrestrials that's ever been made. Um, I want to make the the next part, volume two, by let's say April May, and also the second part to the to the original book I published with uh, Jack Sully um, 13 years ago. I'm going to redo that book, um, make a, a very original and slightly different um, take on, on historical cases. Then after that, I have just so many. I'm also working on a parallel project about um, supernatural art because there are a lot of interesting uh, stories about um, weird pictures, images that have appeared in unusual places, um, walls and ceilings and floors. Not not simply um, like a potato that looks slightly like a head, but actual pictures. Um, and uh, I'm going to compile those into a book and call that uh, probably Supernatural Art and, and get that out this year. I have so many projects, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to find the time. A uh, question I usually ask everybody is, um... Let's imagine a second where you're standing on the strip in Vegas and you've got a shop with all your books and there's other guys that have similar books as well. How do you get people to come in to read your books? Well, I think that the um, what distinguishes mine from from others simply is that um, I can I can I, I show people exactly where I get the information from and, and show people how they can get exactly the same information um, by themselves. Um, I'm very, very transparent in what I find. If I if if I see something strange, shady, dodgy about a about a story, I tell the reader immediately. I warn them. I'm very, very transparent. Uh, I'm not trying to sell anything. I don't have any theories I want to sell. I don't. I'm, I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I just want I want the reader to to reach their their own conclusion. I'll I'll guide them a little bit, but um, I think that. Um, this kind of uh, field, the field of, of paranormal research, UFO research, uh, this is very much um, something that the individual has to reach their own conclusions about because it's very unlikely that are in our uh, in our lifetimes we're going mm -hmm. to to find definite answers because people have been saying that the that the answer is just around the corner for the last two hundred years. Right. So I I just think each person has to reach their own conclusion, and I just give them the straight facts what where, wherever that leads and i'm i'm proud of that because um it means i'm not leading anybody on and how can people find you sir well at the at the back of my of my book um alien artifacts is my um email address i believe my email address is also at the back of uh, wonders in the sky uh if they look for me on twitter um they can find me chris orbeck 
uh, A-U-B-E-C-K, um, or Facebook, or Instagram, or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of all over the place, so it's pretty easy to, to find me. Fantastic. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. This was absolutely fascinating. Well, thank you very much for, for having me. We'd love to get you on with, you know, in the future, actually, to talk more. This is great. Well, when once the, the next one comes out, uh, I'll let you know and we can we can talk about it. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much and have a good rest of your evening. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, bye. Okay, guys, that was Chris Albeck. And wow, that was a lot to take in, a lot of information, great research he's done. Fantastic. Tomorrow I'll be, I'll be back, same time as always, 6.30 p.m. Pacific with a brand new guest, and uh, we just keep this train rolling, right? We just keep this train rolling. I want to thank everybody for coming tonight and listening, and especially Chris. And um, let me get this good. And you can find me at California Haunts on Facebook, and just look, just Google California Haunts. All this stuff will pop up, just like Ghosty Gal over at Instagram with uh, all lowercase. Uh, TikTok, we're talking uh, Cal California Haunts. That's all lowercase. Um, YouTube, California youtube.com forward slash ampersand california haunts radio all our videos are over there and uh our website uh, californiahauntsradio.com is also available and that's got a lot of archival stuff in that goes way back to our blog talk radio days so i think you can find us just about anywhere when you google even, even meet up right but anyway i will see you guys tomorrow at 12 at, at 6 30 p.m pacific in the meantime i'm going to uh shoot you his information along with the books that he has out and then I'm going to say goodbye. So here we go. I'm going to shoot the information over to you. Websites. Maganiacs.blogspot.com and twitter.com cabec. And of course, Return to Magonia is one of the books. And you've got Alien Artifacts, Wonders in the Sky. And, of course, that can all be obtained at Amazon.com. And I thank you guys for coming, and I will see you tomorrow, 6.30. Have a great evening.